Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Let me extend my uh, greetings to all of you today. This is a wonderful and exciting moment that so many of us have looked forward to. The graduates, their spouses and families, and also uh, friends that uh, believe in them and have stood behind them. Uh, I want to say again to the parents in particular, thank you for entrusting your sons and daughters to us and in believing that Southeastern would be a good place for them to come and study. Uh, I think these graduates would say that it has been a worthwhile investment and that God has indeed blessed and uh, used this place to equip them for their further work of ministry. This morning, I want to bring a challenge that uh, I hope will be appropriate both for the graduates but also all who are in attendance and also one that is appropriate and fitting uh, to this particular season. Uh, The title of the address is Because He Came, We Must Go. And it comes from a very brief exposition of John 3.16. I think many of us would recognize this morning that for centuries, this has been the most well-known and well-loved verse in all of the Bible. It is really the heart of Scripture, and it is the essence of the gospel in just 25 words. Uh, One has said it is the story of the Bible in one verse. It is a divine love story. And because God came in the person of his son, we indeed believe we must go. We must go to our neighbors, but we must also go to the nations, taking them the precious gospel that has radically altered and transformed our lives. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said of John 3:16, it is the gospel in miniature. And so as we just take a moment to reflect upon this very well-known verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is it that we can learn from these words? Start with the phrase, for God. It reveals to us that the greatest provider and the greatest lover has reached down to save us. In other words, the Bible begins and this verse begins where we should begin with God, with God's existence. As Francis Schaeffer so well said, he is there and he is not silent. He takes the initiative in salvation. He is the true seeker. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 provides a wonderful compliment to that phrase. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the one who loves us is not just anyone. It is the Lord God who loves us, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, immortal, just, righteous God who has reached down to love us in Christ. The phrase for God tells that salvation comes from the greatest provider and also the greatest lover. For God so loved. The phrase so loved reveals the greatest passion and also the greatest degree. That word so is a little word. It means uh, in such a manner or to such a degree. It speaks of a particular kind of way of loving a person. As again, one man has well said, the word is so small, but its meaning is so big. God so loved. And we need to be reminded this morning that the word love is not an abstract idea. Uh, It's not a warm and fuzzy feeling. It is an action word. Uh, Love is a choice. 
Love is a decision. Love is an act of your will whereby you choose the best for another even at personal cost to yourself. Indeed, the Bible teaches us that this is the kind of love that a husband should demonstrate to his wife. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, husbands, love your wives how? As Christ has loved his church and given himself for her. You know, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. I think many of us that are here this morning, especially of the male gender who happen to be married, would honestly acknowledge that uh, there are times in our lives when we don't love our wives very much in this kind of a way. Uh, We're kind of selfish in our love. We're certainly willing to give uh, to her something uh, as long as we get back what we would like to receive. I learned this very painfully early, early in my marriage. We got married at the age of 21 and 19. So what I'm about to share should at least provide some excuse given my youthfulness and my immaturity. But we were living in Dallas at the time. And one Saturday night, Charlotte put some wonderful sandwiches on our table. She then put on the table this Tupperware thing that if you had a very creative imagination and the use of a magnifying glass, you might think what was in there once resembled potato chips. But when you put them in your mouth, they were so stale and and, and gummy, uh, you just really weren't certain what they were. And so I said, honey, I don't like these. Uh, They're too small and stale and I'd like to have some new potato chips. Well, I don't know why, but my wife early in our marriage uh, aspired, I believe, Uh, to be in the frugality hall of fame and so she fired back at me very graciously but very firmly and said well uh honey uh when this container is empty you can have some new potato chips that was not the answer at all that i was hoping to get from her and so i came back and i said well uh darling i came by the pantry just a moment ago and i saw in there a brand new bag of lay's potato chips they've never been touched by human hands and I I would really like to have those. And so she came back and said, well, uh, like I said, uh, sugar dumpling, when when this container is empty, you can have some others. I did something a man would only do in his first year of marriage. (laughs) I stood up from the table, took her Tupperware thing, and I dumped those potato chips in her kitchen floor. Oh, I know. I am very much aware of the fact that every female in this room thinks I should be dead. It gets worse. Standing there with that empty container, I said, this one's empty now. Why don't you go get those others? Can you believe she didn't go get the others? In fact, she didn't do a number of things around that house for several weeks, best I remember. (laughs) And as I reflect back now, almost 39 years on that moment, I have to acknowledge I wasn't loving her at all in the way that Christ has loved me. I was not thinking about her. I was thinking about me. I wasn't willing to sacrifice for her. I wanted her to sacrifice for me. And yet, isn't it wonderful that our God doesn't love like that? In spite of our foolishness, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our rebellion, as the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And he writes later in that same letter in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, we love him because he first 
loved us. So loved reveals the greatest passion and degree. For God so loved the world. This reveals the greatest possibility and the greatest number. Here's where we see the bigness, if you like, of God's heart. And here's where we see the massive scope of his love. It is the world. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. As that wonderful passage in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 tells us, gathered around the throne in heaven will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. Black people, brown people, red people, white people, yellow people. God rejoices in the beauty and the diversity of the people groups that he has placed in this world. We now know more than 11,741 of them on planet earth. We know that our God rejoices in the beauty of his diversity, but we also know that he weeps for the unreached. If you were to go over to our mission center, you would find a, a clock over there called the World Missions Clock. You see it up there on the screen. Uh, it reminds us that today there's still more than 7.4 billion people on the planet. 4.9 billion of them have limited or no access to the gospel. That means today, amazingly, in this world, with all of our resources, with all of our technology, with all of our money, with all of our numbers, there are still places in the world today where I could take you, drop you by a helicopter or a parachute, you hit the ground, you start walking, you would walk days, weeks, and months, you would never see a church, and you would never meet a Christian. That's why we take very seriously at Southeastern Seminary the final marching orders of the Lord Jesus where he said before he ascended back into heaven, go and make disciples of all the nations. And that's why we have graduates here today that in just a matter of weeks and months will be leaving not the, just to go somewhere nearby, though many will do that, but they will leave the confines of America and they will take their lives around the world to very hard places, to very dangerous places. They will go to great cities. They will go to rural areas. They will go where there are masses of people. They will go where there are few people, but they will go knowing there are people all about us who Christ died for, and yet who have never even one time heard the gospel. My hero, Adrian Rogers said, there is no omission in the Great Commission. Every one of us is indeed commanded by our Lord to take the gospel to the nations. And I wanna say very personally and very specifically this morning, if you're here, you fall into the category of the world. Yes, he died for the world, but he died for you. He died particularly and specifically for you. And if I can just be very honest with you this morning because I care for your soul, if you die without Christ and you go to that place that the Bible calls hell, you forever will be haunted by the reality, Jesus died for me and I did absolutely nothing about it. No, the world reveals the greatest possibility and the greatest number. For God so loved the world that he gave. The greatest proof and the greatest act. You know, love is a beautiful four-letter word. Sometimes we spell it best, G-A-V-E. And God did not take, God gave. And God proved his love for us by 
giving his son. That's why Christmas and the cross must always be kept together. That's why the cradle and the cross must always be seen in tandem. One without the other really makes no sense at all. And because God gave, we are willing to give too. We're willing to give our lives. We're willing to make sacrifices because our God made the greatest sacrifice of all. He gave what? His only begotten son. We need to be clear this morning. He gave because it could not be taken. He gave his son, and therefore God could not have given anything greater than what he gave. You know, God is the only father who ever brought a son into the world for the specific purpose of dying. Dying a death that you and I should have died and paying a penalty that you and I should have paid. That's why Paul can write so beautifully in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? When God gave his son, God gave his best. And God gave his best to die. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever... Whosoever is a wonderful word in the context of John 3, 16. Why? Because it indicates that the way of salvation is open to all and available to everyone. All sinners, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. All sinners are the object of God's love and the recipients of his invitation to be saved. All sinners means all kinds of sinners, all degrees of sinners. There's no racial or social exclusion. There's no national or geographical limits. There's no gender or relational exceptions. Let me be very clear again. No one here today is so bad that they cannot be saved. And no one here today is so good that you do not need to be saved. Yes, the Bible says in John chapter 6 and verse 37, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And Jesus again in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes... The word believes carries the idea of extending and placing faith in. It has the concept of trusting in. It is the one vital link that connects the rescuing love of God in Jesus Christ to humanity. You see, the Bible is really quite clear. All of humanity, everyone in this room can be divided into one of two camps, one of two categories. There's the saved and there's the lost. They're believers, they're unbelievers. You say the Bible's that simple? The Bible's not only that simple, the Bible is that clear. And that's why we need to understand this morning, and please hear me well at this point. When it comes to the issue of salvation, it is not contingent upon your good life. It is not contingent upon your social status. It doesn't matter your IQ or your level of education. It doesn't even matter what your denominational affiliation is, your church attendance, or your religious activity. It is simply this. Do you this day trust Jesus and Jesus only to be your Savior? In fact, let me just again make it very, very clear. Uh, Danny Aiken has put all of his spiritual eggs in the Jesus basket. And if Jesus can get me to heaven, then I'm going. 
If Jesus cannot get me to heaven, I won't make it. Why? Because I am trusting him and only him. I'm trusting Jesus alone. I believe what our Lord said in John chapter 11 and verse 25 and verse 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, I do. And I pray with all of my heart that not one person will leave today that cannot also say, I believe that too. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That phrase, should not perish, carries the idea of dying spiritually, being separated for all of eternity from God. It's not annihilation. It's not going into non-existence. No, there is something on the other side. Jesus has been there. He has come back and he has told us. There's something on the other side for those who believe in Christ called heaven. There's something on the other side for those who do not believe in Christ that is called hell. And the Bible makes it very clear that those who do not have Christ will indeed perish and their perishing will not be for a moment, but their perishing will be for all of eternity. That's why again, at Southeastern Seminary, we challenge all of us to go and share the good news wherever we can because people need to move from the perishing side to the but, they received the gift of eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The word or the phrase everlasting life speaks both of a quantity of life, you live forever in the presence of God, but it also speaks of a quality of life, a quality of life that you can receive this very moment. And do you notice the phrase that qualifies the word life? It is the word eternal. You see, the Bible teaches very clearly that by his work on the cross, Jesus obtained my salvation, but by his work in heaven today, he maintains my salvation. That's why our Lord said in John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so let me bring my address to a close with a very direct challenge. This is a very important moment that we're about to enter into. For many of you that are here today, this is not what you expected in a graduation ceremony. Because in the next few moments, it could be that this is indeed the day of your salvation. You say, I didn't come here today to get saved. Oh, I know that, but God brought you here today to get saved. You see, you're not here by accident today. I don't care who you are. You're here today by divine appointment. In eternity past, God determined that on this particular day, December the 8th, 2017, you would be in this place to hear his servant, Danny Aiken, share with you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, let me make it very clear. If you leave today without Christ and you die and go to hell without Christ, when you stand before God, you will not be able to say, nobody ever told me. Because what our Lord will say is, that's not true. Back there at a graduation on a cold, wet day at Southeastern Seminary, 
December the 8th, 2017, my servant Danny Aiken at that graduation explained as best he could John 3.16, and he told you and you heard and you really have no excuse. Billy Graham, that wonderful evangelist said, God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world and God saying to you, I love you. Now, what will you do in response? Do you bow your head with me for just a moment and, and close your eyes? Before Dr. Eckert comes and voices our prayer of dedication for these graduates, I want to do something that, again, the wonderful evangelist Billy Graham has done uh, hundreds, if not thousands of times during his many-year career. I'm going to voice and lead you in what is called the sinner's prayer. Now, listen to me. Words are not magical. God is not so much concerned with your words as he is with your heart. But this much I can tell you, as I pray in just a moment, if what I'm saying resonates with your heart and you would say to the Lord from your heart, I believe that and I want that, I can promise you on the authority of God's word, he will hear your prayer, he will answer your prayer, and he will save you. You see, the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And what I want to do is give you the chance to call upon the Lord. So if you're here today and you would be honest before the Lord and you would say, I'm not a Christian. I've never trusted you or received you. But this morning, you're speaking to my heart. I know it. I sense it. I feel it. And I believe that you're drawing me to yourself. And I would love to have a relationship with you as my perfect heavenly father. And I want to invite you right now, as I voice it out loud, simply pray this prayer in your heart to the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me and that you proved it by coming into this world and dying on the cross for my sins. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I know I need to be saved. And I thank you that you love me so much. You died in my place. You paid the penalty for my sin. And then you were raised from the dead, showing your power over death, hell, and the grave. Today, right now, I turn from my sin, and I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus, and you alone. I believe that if I call on your name, you will save me. So, Lord, I'm calling Please save me. And Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can trust your word and that indeed anyone who has just prayed that prayer from a sincere heart, you have heard, you have answered, and you have saved. And Lord, we rejoice in the fact that another brother or sister just this moment has been born into the family of God. And Lord, I would pray that following this graduation in just a short while, that uh, as we're gathering with those that we came today to honor, if a father or a mother, a brother or a sister, a dear friend has just received Christ, I would pray that they will quickly find the graduate, 
give them a hug and say, I'm so proud of you, but let me tell you what happened when, uh, when Danny led in that sinner's prayer. I have received Jesus as my Savior. Lord, we're excited about the graduates, but Lord, we'd be even more excited about another soul coming into the kingdom of God. So Lord, thank you that you came. And because you came, may we go. Go across the street, go to the nations, go wherever it is that you call us, knowing that people need to hear the good news of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.